I'm a great believer in something I call lie, cheat, and steal. Lie to your brain, cheat fear, and steal back the phenomenal confidence you were born with. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. Hey guys, most of you know that I have returned back to a plant-based diet, so my beverage consumption has increased quite quite a bit. Don't judge. I know there's some of you out there that really enjoy beverages. So one of my favorite things to drink lately, which I'm consuming a lot of, is Four Sigmatic's new golden latte mushroom mix. It has shiitake and turmeric in it. It's totally organic, caffeine-free, vegan, and only one gram of palm sugar per serving. I love being able to travel with these little packets because they're really easy to make. All you need is some hot water. Some of the additional ingredients in the golden latte are adaptogenic tulsi, warming ginger, and a pinch of black pepper to support turmeric skin-loving properties. So not only do your insides feel amazing, but your skin looks great. Go to Four Sigmatic now and enter promo code RADICALLYLOVED, that's R-A-D-I-C-A-L-L-Y, L-O-V-E-D to get 15% off of your entire purchase. Be sure to check out all the other products that they have there as well. Hey listeners, we need your support. Help us by subscribing and rating to this podcast. Send us a snapshot of your review or comment and we will send you a very special radically loved gift. Send your comment to info at radicallyloved.com. You can also click on the show notes here on this podcast for more information. If you want to be part of our community, please click the link to our private Facebook group on the show notes of this particular podcast so you can be the first to hear of upcoming trainings, retreats, and special Radically Loved events. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so I'm, I'm really excited. I have a lot of questions for you uh, just in regards to your new book, I Am Enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited that you've finally put it all together in a place that we can, mm-hmm. we can read. Uh, I've obviously been following your work for a really long time, and I know that you're doing so many more programs now. Um, you've done so much in providing value for, for people in the field of, I want to say, more self-esteem, self-development, um, and more connection, which is a big thing for me just as a, as a teacher and as a yoga teacher trainer and just with my life and how it's impacted me and my, my own path of self-development. And so one of the things that I want to, well, first of all, I want to talk about uh, why now? Why did it take you this long to create 
I am enough, the book, why, why, why now? Because this is yeah, something, you, this is your philosophy. It's yeah, what you talk calling, about all the time. It's my movement. Yeah. yeah. So why now? That's a very good question. I mean, I'm enough has been going for several years, but I know a lot of people sort of <clears throat> hijacking my work and passing off as their own. I mean, nobody can own a title, I'm enough, but there are quite a few people who started to almost replicate word for word bits of my talks, which um, <clears throat> did not thrill me. And so I decided that I should actually own it, claim it. So I made my program called I'm Enough. I, made, I published my book called I'm Enough. But also the program, it was just a question of timing. It takes a long time to write a book, and it takes a long time to write a program and then get it all right. So we made a 16-week program called I'm Enough, and you get, a, you get a module every two weeks with a regression session, and then we send out emails and things to help you, and then we had to create a tribe for you to belong to, an accountability group. So it just took a long time to put it together. I mean, for me, because I was voted best therapist in Britain, which I love, obviously, but then whenever I produce anything, it's got to be amazing. Because I can't produce anything third rate. I think, oh, I just bash that out. It has to be really good because I never want to lose my winning formula. And this year, we won eight Stevie Awards. They're um, American Business Awards and International Business Awards for Best Therapy Training. And also we won one for I'm Enough, and it was the best new product in pharmaceuticals because I guess they recognize that it's more effective than pharmaceuticals. And so that was really exciting to win that award for I'm Enough. But it, I'm, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist, far from it, but I really want what I do to be so good has to be better than anything else. It has to give great value. It has to have little tiny adjustments that are not work. Because so many programs are work. You know, read a book a week, mm -hmm. write out a thousand goals, do all these mantras. And you know, if you've got a house, a child, a business, and a relationship, you've got enough work to last your entire life. You don't need more work. So it was very, very important to me that the work I do is not work and that I always have the same USB, which is little tweaks, little adjustments, little things you can do that take under five minutes, but the results you get will always be out of all proportion to the effort required. So I like to put on it no effort required. And that's very important to me. So it's just a question of collating you all, getting it together, getting the studies, trying it out with a feedback group, finding out what they liked and didn't like, working out the title, working out the cover for the book, working out the sequence for the uh, audio video program. And it always looks so easy, but there's behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. But eventually we got it all done. Yeah. And in between that, we're traveling around the world, teaching our TT. Right. I mean, last year we were in London. This year we've done it already in London, New York, we to Toronto. I was teaching in Tallinn and Sardinia, and I'm here. Next week I'm going to India, and then Greece. So there's always a lot going on. But yeah. it's good, I love my life. I love it, love it, love it. But I'm very pleased that finally, I'm Enough is a product that we're really proud of, and is ready to go. And in between all of that, we've been actually putting it into schools. We've had quite a lot of schools saying, oh, wow. can you adapt this I'm Enough program for the school system? We're in talks about putting it in 
juvenile detention centres, we've got some hospitals taking it. So we're being really, every time we think, oh, it's all done, people go, oh, could you do yeah. a version for my school or my hospital or yeah. my Young Offenders Institute? So we go, yeah, sure, why not? Because it's our mes like me. message. I mean, I feel like for me to especially having had a, a troubled teenage uh, upbringing, mm -hmm. I think having something like all of the the value system and the modalities that you teach would have been so helpful for me as a teenager. Yeah. You know, it's like all of these things that we can get now that you're saying is out there. Um, it, it's not at the level that you present it because you've done it. You've had the experience. Mm. You've worked with people for over 25 years. Yeah. And... I feel like there's there's definitely something to that teaching these these uh, these techniques uh, coming from an expert a master mm -hmm. rather than just going online and googling it yeah right? um, and and just going back to what I was saying about having mm. this at a young age was super important mm. and I and I actually this is as apropos to my first question uh, about the book or just you know the system that you created how important it is to have this education for us like what kind of how would the world look differently if we had this from a young age well one of the first things is bullying would be something that was so minor if every child went to school every day and had a belief in their head or heard before they went to school you you matter you're significant, you're enough, you have something of value to offer the world, and you have a gift. You may not know what it is, but you have a gift and a talent, something of value to share. If every parent could install that in their child and every teacher could reaffirm it, bullying would, would practically not exist. I mean, of course, it'd always be a little bit. We have a terrible epidemic of bullying, and it used to be that poor bullied kids could go home to their sanctuary until the next school day. But now with trolling and internet and phones, children feel violated in their own bedrooms, in their own living room. And bullying is an epidemic. And not just at school, we have bullying in the workplace, we have bullying. Some people I know say, you know, I feel that the school mothers bully me, they exclude me, and they don't invite my kid to their kids' parties. And, you know, it seems to be we have an epidemic of bullying, I guess, because we have an epidemic of people feeling they're not enough. Bullying is really about dominance. If you feel inadequate and not good enough and less than other people, then you feel better when you make other people feel inadequate, not good enough and less than because finally you feel equal. Like a miserable person wants someone else to be miserable and they feel a bit better about themselves. And it's such a great shame that that's where we're starting from when we should be working to make everyone feel enough, including children who are bullied. So... It, I've all, I, I know because I've been, I've been a therapist and indeed taught therapy for over 30 years now that whenever people come in, I know in conventional therapy you talk about your feelings and in conventional medicine you go to the doctor and go, I've got a headache or a stomach ache and they tend to look at what you're presenting. Whereas when, you, when I see people with what I call the present, here's my problem, it's a presenting problem. I always look for what I call what lies beneath. You've got a headache, you've got a stomach ache, you, you binge on donuts, you self-destruct, you sabotage. 
um, you walk away from relationships, you cheat on someone you love, what is beneath that? And what's beneath it always, always, always is the same thing, I just don't feel enough. I have a beautiful wife, but I seem to have a need to cheat on her with women that aren't a patch on her. I have a beautiful job, I'm forever stealing stuff. I don't even need like pencils and pencil shoves and stationery. And I know I'm going to get caught and fired, but it's almost like I feel so worthless. I want to, I want to speed up that process and finding out that I'm rubbish, so I'll, I'll do it in advance. Mm -hmm. um, I know I could be thin, I've been to the gym, I've got the diet pills, I've got the diet shakes, but I still mainline boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts on a regular basis. And you can't treat this, <laughs> that as a symptom. I mean, I've worked with hundreds and thousands of drug addicts and alcoholics. I have never met one who ever believed they were enough. I've met lots who say, I feel worthless. I'm not good enough. And one of the reasons addicts like Al-Anon and drug addiction um, groups is that they go, oh, you're like me. Yeah, you sold your kids' toys. So did I. I thought I was a piece of garbage. But I feel a bit better because I'm with other people who've done <laughs> things. So we're all not enough in this group and we can be not enough together. But I can't go out and be with people who are enough because their goodness shines a light on my darkness. Mm. And it's not about that. It's about going back and seeing where and why and how and when did you ever decide you're not enough? There isn't a baby on the planet going, I'm not enough, so I won't cry for attention because I know I'm not worth it. I won't make a fuss, I'll just lie here in this dark room and not ask for anything. Babies are so convinced they're enough. In the womb, every need you have is met. It's like Hawaii and it's always 75 degrees. You have 24-hour room service. And a person, you can feel their heartbeat all the time so you're never alone. And when babies are born, they have this belief that goes, oh, this is great, all your needs are met. And if they're not met, they will cry for hours because their belief is, I'm lovable mm -hmm. and someone is coming to attend to my needs. <laughs> Of course, if you really ignore that baby for long enough and shout at it, so I think, oh, maybe I'm not lovable and mm -hmm. no one's coming. And before the age of three, we have no reason. We have no logic, no reasoning. So it's very easy for small children to think, my mum's crying, it's my fault. I'm not enough to make her happy. My mum keeps bringing home these strange guys because I'm not enough for her. My dad has left. It must be my fault. My parents are always shouting about money. Must be my fault. My mum is depressed or mentally ill or sick or ill. And because a child has no logic, they always say, this is my fault because I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, nice enough, worthy enough. And of course, they buy into that very early on and then becomes this lifelong need to fix it. But they can't fix it because it was never their fault in the first place. Mm but they've bought into a belief. And so when you'll come and train with me in my rapid transformational therapy schools, we have an absolute formula they can replicate. And it's a formula where it says you always look for what lies beneath. Whatever the presenting problem is, you always look for what's underneath that. People don't come in and say I'm fat because I'm just an out of control big fat pig. That's never the case. Many people who are overweight do eat a lot, and many don't. But if the mind has a belief that being heavy 
stops people looking at you funny like your weird stepfather did, then you're never going to get rid of that with dieting alone. When people say, you know, I've got these headaches or this nervous twitch or this eczema, asthma, dermatitis, and creams aren't working, it's because often the unconscious mind has a belief that this illness, this skin condition, has a role, it has a function, it has a purpose. And so what we do in RTT is find it. And the I'm Enough course is very, very similar. What it's doing is taking you back and finding out why, how, where you ever did what you did, why you do what you do, then stopping it. Because so many people walk through life going, I don't know why I do this, I guess I'm yeah. just messed up. I have no idea why I behave the way I behave. There's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. And I'm a great believer that you can't fix what you don't understand. When you understand it, you can fix it. And that's why I made the program and the book and have the RTT training as well. So you can either fix yourself or should you wish to, you can learn to fix other people and yourself. Mm, yeah, no, and I, I want to speak to uh, to that a little bit more, the relationship between self-esteem and responsibility. Okay. So I think that a lot of the times we forget that we actually have to be the ones to do the work. Mm. So what's your experience with this? And well, what is the yeah. relationship between the two? Well, obviously you know that responsibility means an ability to respond. A response-able person is able to respond to what's going on. And they don't go, well, it's your fault because you did that, or I'm having a bad time because of the weather, or it's a, the world's fault. A responsible person says, I'm responding to this situation very badly. I handled that badly. I'm responding with this beautiful kid that I spent 20 grand on IVF to have badly by losing it, and it's not their fault. But an irresponsible person will blame everyone but themselves. Self-esteem means what I think of me. If it was anything else, it'd be called your esteem or my esteem. If I said, Rosie, <laughs> I hold you in the highest esteem, that means I hold you in high esteem. But self-esteem is what I think about me. It's, it's my awareness of myself. And self-esteem is incredibly important. If you don't have it, then nothing else matters. I mean, we know lots of people certainly from the television, if not personally, that have yachts and mansions and Porsches and maids and fantastic bodies and stellar movie careers who are miserable. We only have to look at Whitney Houston mm. or um, Michael Jackson or George Michael, for that matter, to see someone who's got everything but indeed nothing because of what they lack, but like Robin Williams, is self-esteem. Mm. But someone else can't give you self-esteem. Only you can give you self-esteem. And it's actually quite easy to give you self-esteem. It starts with praising yourself a lot, being nice to yourself, not becoming extremely arrogant. That's just the other end of the scale of being insecure. But when you can say, I have something of value, or I'm interesting, I'm a good person, I'm nice, I'm as good as anyone, there's no one better than me, I'm not better than them, but no one is better than me, I'm, I'm equal to everyone. When you can praise yourself and believe in yourself, you will have high self-esteem because there's nothing on the planet that will boost your self-esteem like praise. They really go together. Mm. Like 
being dehydrated and being that being fixed by water, <laughs> and only water, you can't hydrate yourself with Coke, Coca-Cola or coffee. When you're dehydrated, your body requires water. When you have low self-esteem, you require self-praise. Mm. Because nothing will raise your self-esteem like self-praise. Many of us go, I'm an insecure person. Do I look okay? Are you sure? Does this suit me? Is that good enough, that work? What do you think about this essay? Are you sure it's okay? You really think it's okay? It doesn't matter what they think. It's what you think. Do you think it's okay? And even if you don't, say it is, because I'm a great believer in something I call lie, cheat, and steal. Lie to your brain, cheat fear, and steal back the phenomenal confidence you were born with. So if you're about to take an exam, or go for an audition, or go for an interview, or go and see your boss and ask for a raise, or do some crowdfunding, you have to lie first and go, I'm amazing, this is phenomenal, my idea is just incredible, this product is remarkable, everybody loves this, the world needs this, it's amazing, 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 amazing. Lie to yourself. And then cheat fear, because the more you say it's amazing, you go into a meeting with this belief, this is amazing, and people will go, yeah. When you watch Shark Tank, you see that in action, yeah. but you can't fake it. You have to have that conviction. And then you get back, you steal back the confidence that really is your birthright. No baby says, you know, I've been trying to eat a banana and I just keep getting it in my ear and my head and I clearly can't get to grips with eating, so I'm going to give up. And I'll have to be spoon-fed <laughs> for the rest of my life. Babies don't know failure. Look how hard it is to walk, to talk, to stand up. To walk, but they keep going. And we are born hardwired to succeed. We have a bounce back muscle that comes back from failure. Babies don't go, you know, I've tried to walk 55 times. It's just too hard. I think I'll give up now. I just sit in a stroller for the rest of my <laughs> life. They never do that. And then you wonder, but how did that baby become a human that goes, no, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm a loser. Nothing ever works out for me. Everything goes wrong. It all turns to... Um, well, I don't know if you can say that word. It all turns to rubbish. But, you know, those people aren't born. They're made because babies are, are hardwired to succeed. Yeah. They never quit. I mean, if you said to a little kid that goes, I have an ice cream. No, they go, but I want an ice cream. Can I have an ice cream? I need it. Can I have an ice cream? And they keep going to say, oh, for God's sake, here, have an ice cream. Because they don't just say, oh, I can't have what I want. They ask and ask, ask and ask. And ask. <laughs> and then they try another way because they have a belief that says, I can have what I want. And it's such a shame how quickly we can get that out of children, how fast we can have them believe that you don't, can't have anything you want, nothing's available to you, and you don't deserve anything anyway. None of us do that on purpose. Nobody wakes up and goes, um, let's Google how to ruin our kid's life, mm -hmm. lift up the computer. Mm -hmm. Let me find the fastest way to damage my kid forever. No parent does that. Many of them damage them. <laughs> but it's very rarely intentional. Even the alcoholic that smacks their child and hurts them, they don't plan that. They do a terrible job and it's utterly wrong. But they're dealing with their own stuff too. Because damaged people damage people and hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. But if we could all believe that we're enough, Life would be so different. Yeah, oh, I, 
I love that, and it reminds me of this this little story that I I read, and I just read it recently. It was in in one of my like um, creative writing books, right? So I'm taking this class on mm-hmm. creative writing, and this is part of our textbook talking about our creativity mm-hmm. and how it can get stifled at a young age. Yeah. And the story is um, this observer is watching this woman and her toddler mm-hmm. riding a gondola and they're all riding gondola this gondola up to the summit of this uh, mm-hmm. state park and they're looking down and the little girl says look mommy they look like broken toothpicks mm-hmm. and the mom looks down and she says no honey they look like ants mm-hmm. and then the little girl says they look like ants mm. and the the onlooker the the guy that's sitting there is like no, they actually look like tooth, like broken toothpicks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was just basically showing how, from a young age, mm. it's, it's just like what you're saying. Sure. It's it's this sort of learned thinking, yeah. like, oh, I was wrong. It's this now, yeah, you know? Course. And it's sort of stifled this fluidity of creativity mm. that we come in with. I know. Right? Yeah, and it's such a shame because children have such interesting beliefs about what's possible. They just don't do no. They don't take no for an answer. And yeah. We try so hard to make them like us, and we actually should try to be more like them mm-hmm. because they're such free spirits, and they're so, they're so good at stuff, and they're full of enoughness. And then we think, well, where did that go wrong? So I worked with a little boy that had terrible dermatitis all over his arms, and one of the things we teach in both the I'm Enough course and in the RTT training is that Every illness, every symptom, every disease, whether it's a mental, physical, or emotional one, has a role and a function and indeed a purpose. I said to this little boy, look, I know this is a silly question, but if the eczema was your friend or the dermatitis was your friend, it wanted to help you, how could it help you? And without skipping a beat, he said, well, I have to stand like that, you know, with his arms out. And mummy puts on the cream and the wet bandages, just put any cream on that baby. And of course, in an instant, I understood that the child had watched mum massaging the baby. Mummy, I want that. She goes, no, 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 you're a big boy. Just for babies. You you had your turn and the baby, you don't need that. This is just for babies. And at some level, he thought, but I, I want to be a baby. I want to have the cream. And of course, the mind will always listen to how you talk to yourself and work out what you want based on what you tell it. I want mummy to put cream on me. I want the massage, and the mind goes, eczema, there you go. Now you get lots of um, massage. If you, I was a little boy who had terrible headaches, and when I asked him the same question, you know, most kids don't get headaches, and the headache must want be wanting to be your friend and help you, and it's a strange way to help you, I know, but if it wanted to help you, how could it help you? And he said, well, mommy and daddy fight. Then I get a headache. Then we turn all the lights off and lie in the dark till it goes away. And again, the mind is so literal that if you say to your mind, I've got to stop mommy and daddy fighting, I must stop them fighting, it will come up with a way that's super effective, but obviously can have a lot of side effects. And we really should be taught at a very early age that every word we say forms a blueprint and that our mind and body does everything at its disposal to make that blueprint occur. So when you say that this commute is killing me, this, this uh, my boss at work makes me want to die, 
this is the client from hell, I'd give anything not to be here. Your mind goes, oh, that place called work is killing you. Why don't you have a nice little ulcer and stay at home? And we've all said this classic thing, oh gosh, I wish I wasn't going out next Wednesday to that meeting. I'd give anything to get out of it. Next Wednesday, you wake up with diarrhea or sickness and your mind's going, oh, I'm just so cool because I give you what you want. And it does because you don't tell it what you want. You have to really talk to your mind. Like if you went to the hairdresser and said, okay, cut my hair while I read a magazine, they would go, oh my God, what have you done? That's too short and I don't like the style, but you didn't give them any instructions. Any more than saying, I'm going on holiday, could you paint my house? <laughs> I'd say, oh my God, what have you done? I painted your house. We, when we want stuff, we're very specific in restaurants. We're very, I want this like that, without that. And you have to see your mind a bit like a waiter. If you say, this is exactly what I want, you'll get it. But if you go, well, sort of that, and maybe that doesn't work. When you say, I hate working weekends, I'd give anything not to do that. The thought of having to work on my website, website, website <clears throat> the thought of having to work on my website makes me want to kill myself, which of course isn't true. Your mind says, I've got a great idea. I think you need to tidy up your sock drawer and make sure all the silverware is in the same direction because you just said I'd rather do anything than my paperwork and anything <laughs> is plumbing up your cushions, <laughs> sorting out your laundry, playing on looking at cat videos. Right. Because you're not specific and all you have to do is go, right, this weekend I'm working on my website. There's nowhere I'd rather be. There's nothing I'd rather do. It elates me and thrills me and delights me to be right here working on my website. Then your mind goes, you want that? Oh, I understand. You've made it so clear. Now I know what you want. Let me give you energy and passion and keep you full of energy all night long to write that book proposal or work on your website because you told me you wanted it. But if you say, right, I'm going to run because I want to be fit and go, oh God, I hate running. Oh, it's so painful. It's so boring. I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. You're not going to have any success at running. And if you look at Marines who run, they sing, I'm a Marine, bring it on. I'm running in rain, I'm running in snow, I'm running in heat, I'm running with half my weight on a backpack and a lamp strapped to my forehead and I like it. And we should all do that because if you sing a little song to yourself or whistle when you're doing something you don't want to do, your mind goes, we must love this because you're singing. Instead of singing, we, we do this, we bitch and moan mm -hmm. and complain. Mm -hmm. Even in the store, oh God, it's a nightmare in here. It really isn't. It's just a cue. It's just a line. Yeah. Where does that, why, why do you think we've created, I feel like, in, in my opinion, that we've, all of those things that you're saying, it, it's almost like there's this huge surge of impatience, mm. right? Yeah. Because it's like, that's where that's coming from. It's like, oh, there's, oh, there's traffic or there's yeah. this or, oh, I, I can't do this or I don't have enough time. Yeah. It's like this. I'm out of bandwidth. Yes. Why? We used to have so much time. We used to queue. We used to get in a line to go to the store. Oh, yeah. We'd line up to buy grocery. We'd chat to each other, mm -hmm. and it was quite a normal thing. I was reading last night about this little fish and chip shop in part of England. It's only open twice a week, and people take a little chair along, and the, the line is always an hour long, and they talk to each other. 
and it's become a little social event that they expect the line. Oh, that's lovely. Because it's where they can only cook 15 pieces of fish at a time. <laughs> and people will expect the line and they talk to each other. But we don't do that anymore. We don't get on a plane and talk to our neighbor. Yeah. We just, it's all rush, 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 yeah. rush, and we get lost or in our phones. Or putting on your phones and Yeah, and we can't wait for anything. We yeah. can't even wait for that circle to go, oh, let's go to another screen. So, yeah, where has that come from? I guess it's just come from us doing more. You know, you're a human being, not a human doing. That means you should be more than do. So, and a lot of that is to do with, for instance, electricity. You know, if you go to Africa, people don't do much when it's dark. They just sit around the fire and chat. But now we have electricity, so we can stay up all night, get up early, the whole rhythm of nature where you get up when it's light and go to bed when it's dark and stop doing stuff when the sun goes down because you can't see too much. So that whole stuff, electricity is done a lot mm. to do that. Because when I go to Zimbabwe, I go back to that room and I go to bed really early, nine or 10 o'clock, get up at five, watch the animals come to the watering hole. It's very hot, so you don't move around too fast. And it's a whole different rhythm. Yeah. And when you do that, you really realize that human beings are not really designed for modern life. Mm. Not at all, but we forced ourselves to adapt, but we haven't really adapted that well. Yeah, it's apparent. I think that we wouldn't have the high levels of depression and stress mm. and heart disease and all of the things sure. that we have. A quick message from our sponsor. If you're looking for a nutrient system that truly embraces and complements the mind-body balance in a holistic, nurturing way, then wellness kits from Uveda are your natural answer. They're created with the help of naturopathic and Ayurvedic practitioners committed to the healing traditions mantra of purity and harmony. These top quality ingredients are hand-picked and refined in a way that preserve utmost quality and potency. Discover a wide range of formulas that deliver essential fatty acids, herbs, probiotic strains, and enzymes to help support your health and wellness needs. Whether you're looking for a natural detox support, a gentle digestive aid, soothing probiotics, or a formula dense in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, you can be assured you're getting only the best natural healing remedies for your body. Go to uveda.com, that's Y-O-U-V-E-D-A.com, and enter the promo code ROSIE, R-O-S-I-E, for a special discount on your first purchase. Well, the, the studies that say depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain, people say, are they flawed? I'm like, no, they're not flawed. They're non-existent. They don't exist. They're, it is impossible to check the human brain for a chemical imbalance. And those studies were not created by doctors. They were created by a pharmacist to sell more drugs. And it simply is not true that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain. The major cause of depression is lack of connection. We're tribal people, we're supposed to be together. And the more we separate ourselves from people, the more depressed we get, the more we get our groceries. If I go to the store, there's no one to talk to. My grand used to chat to the person behind the counter while they got us some bread and groceries. Mm -hmm. And now it's all automated. The bank's automated. Soon we'll have automated cabs with no drivers mm -hmm. and automated trains. And 
You can go through the whole day and not speak to a soul. Amazon will deliver everything for you. They don't speak. They just go, sign that. And they're gone in like a nanosecond. Delivery drivers don't stop going, hey, how are you today? Because they're on like, oh, I get paid by every parcel. So we're creating a world where people don't communicate. And communicating and connection are what humans thrive on. So we've taken away connection. That's made people depressed. Harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself are the second reason we get depressed. And not following our heart's desire is absolutely the third. And while there are people who say, look, my meds have helped me cope better, and I'm, I'm not suggesting you should come off meds, far from it. You must never just come off meds if you're on them. But you might need to have a look at, you know, what really lies beneath. Do you follow your heart's desire? Do you have connection in your life? And are you doing something that makes your heart sing? Are, are you nice to yourself? Do you praise yourself more and criticize yourself less? If you go, no, I criticize myself all the time and never praise myself. I'm not following my heart's desire. I don't see people because it's too hard to pretend I'm happy when I'm depressed. Then you're now in a cycle of depression that becomes harder and harder to break. So it's difficult. It, it's it's very difficult. You have to understand the rules of the mind. And in I'm Enough, we teach you the rules of the mind and how they apply to depression and illness and sickness. And one of them is that everything starts with a thought. You think a thought. When you think a thought, you the thought is followed by a feeling and the feeling is followed by action. So here's a thought I have. I'm not enough. I think that thought, that I'm not enough. I'm not going to speak to anyone at work because I'm not enough. And so if I think I'm not enough, I feel sad. I might feel sad. I might feel really angry and bitter and resentful because the feeling I'm getting from not being enough is sad or depressing or angry. And the action that's going to come from that thought and feeling is no action. I'm not going to go to people and go, hey, I'm having a barbecue. Do you want to come? Because I'm not enough, so no one's going to come. I'm not going to go up to someone I like and go, do you want to have a coffee with me? Because... I know those guys are going to ghost me or laugh at me or reject me because I'm not enough. And all you have to do is change that thought and go, okay, how about I just decide to think I am enough? And I'm going to say it and say it and say it. And we have people put it, part of the program is you, you make all your passwords, the version of I'm enough, obviously some squiggles and letters, otherwise we can't all have I'm enough. That would make hackers very happy. But you have to type it every day. It's written all around your house, on your mirrors, it's on your fridge and fridge, fridge, ma and fridge magnets. Your phone alerts ping. Your screensaver says, I'm enough. And so now you're seeing it, writing it, typing it, speaking it, hearing it, living it. Now you think, okay, I'm enough. So now what's the feeling? Well, I feel good because I know I'm enough. I feel good about myself and I feel happy and I feel kind of confident, certainly at peace with myself, nothing to prove because I'm enough. Mm -hmm. So what's the action? Well, the action is I can go up to people and say, do you want to come over for tea or dinner or come to a movie or have lunch with me? If I like someone, I can go up and say, oh, you look really cute, and just chat to them because they can't reject me because I'm enough. They might say, I'm very happily married, thank you. And I just go, yeah, lovely. I wasn't asking that. I was asking you something else. One of my clients was saying that she tried this out, and she said to someone on a train, do you live around here? He said, yes, with my wife. She went, oh, well, I'm thinking of moving here with my husband. Just wanted to ask you if it's a safe area. So you can always pull back. Yeah. She said, I, I didn't mind that... Um, 
I talked to him and he thought I was coming out and I was, but I realized he wasn't available, so I just turned it into a general conversation. But I didn't run home and think, oh my God, I spoke to that guy, he was married, it was so embarrassing, I knew it, because I'm not enough. So changing one little word, people like me, people don't like me, I'm smart, I'm an idiot, I'm a lovely warm person, I'm a loser. You think a thought, and the thought allows you to feel a feeling, and the feeling causes an action or an inaction if you feel bad, which just justifies the thought. And what therapy does is it tries to change the behavior. Mm -hmm. I feel, I think I'm a loser, so my therapist's got me doing all these things. I've got to go and speak to someone and take a risk and risk rejection and take myself out of my comfort. I've done all of that, but I still feel like a loser because they're changing the behavior. So your thoughts control your feelings, your feelings control your actions, and your actions control your events. And the law of control says you want to change anything, just change your thinking. And I do that a lot with small children with these looping thoughts. And it's really effective. And, and most of the people I train will say, wow, just taking clients through that, stop doing all this cognitive behavioral therapy. You're scared of a spider, let's draw a picture. Let's look at a photograph. Let's sing a little song about spiders. No, let's go back and have a look at where that came from. And then when you do that, you feel completely different. But so much therapy is not geared at changing the, the thoughts. thoughts yeah. yeah, and that's all you have to change, just yeah. your thoughts. Well, and going back to what you said, just to kind of loop it back to the light, heat, and steel, mm -hmm. because everything that you're saying is still going back mm. to that in a sense, Of course, right? light, heat, and steel, yeah. yeah. So, so for the people that really want to create change, that mm -hmm. maybe they, they, they're listening to this podcast and they're really connecting to everything that you're saying, how do we know when we're ready to make that change? How do we know we're ready? Because I, I encounter a lot of the times people that, you know, I students or clients that I work with, they say they're ready, but then their their thoughts and behaviors mm. are showing the opposite. Yeah. Well here's something that all therapists find immensely vexing. And I understand why. There are a couple of things you need to know about the mind, only three, and here's the third one. The mind loves what is familiar, really loves what's familiar. And if it could choose, it would run back to what's familiar and avoid what is unfamiliar. And if you look at our cavemen wiring, that's not really surprising. You know, we used to live in walled cities where they pulled the drawbridge up at night, or we slept in a little tribe with a fire, and there were people on guard, and no one thought, well, you know what, I think I'll just, I'm a bit bored here now. I think I'll go off and find another tribe. I need some variety in my life, because they might kill you. And so we <laughs> learned at a very early age that the same makes the same. And any parents say, gosh, you know, yeah, my kid wants the same cereal every day. We've got eight different varieties, they want that one. They watch the same movie, they want the same bed, sometimes they like the same bowl, the same cup, this one particular set of pajamas and nothing else because um, the same made us safe. So we are hardwired to love what is familiar and avoid what is unfamiliar. So for instance, you may have someone who says, you know, I, I date losers and guys that put me down, or women that put me down and hurt me, and I really want a nice person. 
and they might get introduced, oh, have I got the person for you, kind, lovely, a doctor. And they go, yeah, I don't like him. He was too good for you. What they're actually saying is this person turned up, picked me up, paid the bill and praised me, and it was so unfamiliar. I was right out of my, I ran straight back to the guys that don't call, treated me with my friends, and I have to practically beg them to date me, because if, if you're raised as a child and you have to earn love, work for love, run after love, persuade someone to love you, like a parent by being good or nice or kind or by love, then when love turns up and it's just there, you, you don't like it. In the same way, the people who've never had money and win the lottery will get rid of it so fast. The statistic of lottery winners that go bankrupt is incredibly high. We'll say, but surely you wouldn't reject love or money. You would. If it's unfamiliar, you would absolutely reject it. And not only that, you'd return to what is familiar. So the hardest thing is people who've never been praised, because I was saying before that praise boosts your self-esteem. And if you've never had praise, you go, oh, Rosie, I love that dress. You go, oh, my, it's my sister's got a hole in the armpit. It's really old. Or, hey, Rosie, um, I love that yoga class. Oh, I was having a really bad day. Didn't you notice that I missed the last thing? No, I thought it was great. No, it wasn't great. I might say, I heard you're the best salesperson. You're like, no, actually, I'm not. I'm the fourth best. So people who are not used to praise, not only do they reject it, they add in what's familiar, criticism. I reject praise because mm. it's unfamiliar. And I add in criticism coming from me because that's what is familiar. So when people say they're not ready, what they're saying really is, this is unfamiliar territory. You want me to be nice to myself, praise myself, put myself first? I've never done that. I was one of six kids. I looked after everyone. Now I've got four kids. And I don't even know how to do that. And actually, all you have to do is this. You have to say, I'm making this familiar. I'm making this familiar. I'm making praise familiar. I'm making dating a nice person familiar. We're all wired to recreate what's familiar, but a happy ending on it. So we keep repeating the beginning and trying to change the ending. And I said to people, look, don't keep trying to change and change the beginning. Why find a cold person and make them warm when you can find a warm person and they'll remain warm and they'll keep you warm? But people don't understand that the mind learns by repetition. If you've never run or gone to the gym, mm -hmm. you don't go once, you have to keep going back. If you take sugar out of your coffee, it's not good. But if you say, I'm going to make it familiar, 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 six of age, you say, I don't have a drink it like that. It's horrible. So it's not that they're not ready, it's that they haven't recognized the mind's need mm -hmm. to go after what's familiar because that's how we survived. We mm -hmm. ate stuff we recognized. We lived with people we recognized and we were safe in a little group that were like us. But we don't live that. We live in multicultural societies, every yeah. kind of food you like. And now you don't have to do that. It's just our caveman wiring. And so when people say they're not ready or they go, oh, that, I'm not ready or that was too difficult or that, that wasn't, I go, no, it wasn't familiar and I understand that. Your mind likes what's familiar. Make good stuff familiar. Start with praise. Looking after your body, eating better food, going to the gym, but the mm. biggest thing to raise your self-esteem is just praise. 
I like myself, I'm a good person, I have something to offer the world, I have a unique skill, I'm here for a reason. My parents may have been appalling, but I was meant to be. And now the universe is my mum and dad, and it's going to meet all my needs, and I can meet my needs. As a kid, I had so many unmet needs. I didn't feel safe, I didn't feel loved, I didn't feel valued. I was never celebrated, I didn't get birthday parties or gifts. That's a shame, but you know what? You can feel loved and celebrated and significant and valued now and every day for the rest of your life if you do it. Don't wait for someone else because then you're going, look, here's my unmet needs. Can you take them and fix them? No, because that makes you needy. And that's very, very unsexy. Yeah. But when you can say, I'm great, I like myself. Confidence is incredibly sexy. Yeah, it is. It's, and it's the thing that we look for the most, isn't it? Mm. It's what attracts us the most, is sure. when somebody's confident. You know? Yeah, we like people who like themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, I really admire this guy in my office, you know? When the envelope comes around to buy a gift for someone that says, I'm not doing I don't even know this person in accounts. So I'm not going to keep giving up $10 every week to some random stranger, no. They go, God, I so admire that. Why don't you do it? Oh, I can't because nobody might like me. I said, but you like him. Oh, I do, but I'm a bit scared of being like that. So it's really good to grow people's self-esteem. We, we, we should all feel good about ourselves and help other people feel good about themselves too. But we don't because we don't know how to do it. In the same way that many children who are bullied, I've been working with a lot of bullied children, and if I ask them, what do they do when they see children being bullied? Nothing. Kids get bullied more than anything because of what they look like, the clothes they wear, or their physical appearance. And they don't know how, what to do, but they don't know what to do when they see other kids being bullied either because our need to belong and be connected is so profound and so powerful. But if we see a child being bullied, we think, I better not interfere because then they might bully me, I need to connect to this gang. And so one of the things I love about I'm Enough is that it kind of unpicks behavior. You do this because of that, you think this because of that, but you can change it. It doesn't just say, oh well, it actually gives you real workable strategies so that you go to bed every night and wake every morning knowing that you're enough. And there's really nothing better than that. Yeah, oh, I love that. I can sit here in uh, your house <laughs> forever just talking about this. Mm. I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm only going to ask you two, two more questions. Okay. Um, one, of, one of them is pertaining to connection because this is a huge thing, as you sure. said. And it's part of why I created the podcast, mm. too. So if you were going to give a tip to the people listening on what's the best way to connect with somebody people. or people or somebody in their life or just okay. connection? Well, we like people who are like us. The basis of all friendship is we pick people who are like us, which is why bullies find it very hard to make friends because people aren't like them and bullied kids find it hard to make friends. So, you know, one of my clients was telling me that she'd fallen out with a neighbor in her apartment and had no idea why, and they couldn't, she was so scared of this person who had a baby. I said, look, go just go knock on the door and take a little gift for the baby and say, you know, notice the baby, she's so beautiful. And straight away you'll connect because if you want to get on with a mother, praise her child. 
And when I got on with the school, the mothers at the school gates, don't talk about yoga, talk about theirs. Oh, Rebecca, she's so funny and interesting and beautiful and kind because it's hard for someone not to like you when you go through their children and praise them. And so, you know, you've always got to find the connection. Well, I mean, I work with a lot of obese people and you'd think they'd hate me because I'm not obese, but I talk about, look, you know, I couldn't keep chocolate in my house once. I, I couldn't keep, I ate all my daughter's Easter eggs. I took all the chocolate off the Christmas tree and ate it before Christmas because I'm showing them I was like you. I was out of control with sugar. I mean, that's the basis of AA. We, we like people who are like us. And people who try to be perfect are the unhappiest people in the world and the loneliest too. Because no one goes, oh, I love my friend, she's perfect. Because that makes them feel inadequate. So it's one of the reasons we like flawed celebrity. We used to kind of idolize Elizabeth Taylor, who seemed perfect until she got older. And then she said once, people come to see how fat and ugly I've got, and you know what? I never disappoint them. Very sad. But um, we like people who are a bit flawed because it allows us to be flawed. We're all flawed people having relationships with flawed people. If you don't have a connection, you're either pretending you're perfect, which really turns people off. They want you to be a little flawed, a little vulnerable. So just be yourself, be real. And if someone says, you know, I've got a fear of heights, don't go, oh, I love being on a plane. What do you go, well, I, I don't like bees. You know, they've always freaked me out a bit. Don't try to be perfect. Connect. If, if you look for what makes you the same, so what makes you feel different, you'll find it. I know we, in, in England, there, there's a guy called Bruce Parry. He's to go and live with tribes. And the first thing he did was, if they were naked, he got naked. If they ate cockroaches, he'd eat them. I mean, it wasn't fun, but he did what they did. Because very quickly, they didn't see that he was white with red hair and blue eyes. They just decided he was one of them. I've done stuff where you go and mix with wolves and you have to crouch down and smile without being, and let the wolf come up and sniff you. And after all, the wolf decides you're a wolf and it rounds you up and you go on a walk and it thinks you're a wolf. Because we like people who are like us, you know, people who love dogs, dogs love them. People who love children, find children, love them. And so when you, you have that energy of, oh, I love you, you'll love me. But if I have the energy of, well, you don't love me, I'm going to have to earn your love and work and run after you and try and beg you to love me, it doesn't work. If you want someone to love you, fall in love with yourself. It's the beginning of a lifelong romance. It never bores you. Never disappointed, it doesn't cost you any money. No waxing is required in order to fall in love with yourself. And if we could only all teach our kids to love themselves, and if we could love ourselves, we would think, wow, you're such an attractive prospect because you like yourself. You're not waiting, when are you going to call me? You haven't called me, you don't love me, you're going to ghost me, I just know it. You're going to cheat on me, everyone does. That's not attractive. I'm great, and if you want to have a relationship, you're great. And if you don't, well, somebody else will, so I'm good, whatever happens. But so many people try to force someone to love them or like them. Put that energy into loving and liking you. Fall in love with yourself. And all you have to do to do that is to praise yourself. And you don't have to go, I look like... Um, 
Cameron Diaz, or you just have to say, I'm a good person. I'm kind, I'm nice, I'm warm, I'm real, I'm authentic, I'm genuine. I've got a beautiful heart. Yeah, I, my, my thighs aren't super, I haven't got a thigh gap, but I don't need it, I've got a big heart. I haven't got a bikini bridge or a design of a vagina, but I've got a good heart and I'm a good person because people don't care about that stuff. I mean, that's insane that we're even trying to have our genitals have got to be perfect now, bleached, trimmed, shaped, waxed. I mean, it's like how many more ways can you find for us to hate our own bodies? <laughs> We've got the thigh back gap, the A4 <laughs> challenge, the bikini bridge. Yeah. I mean... These kids come and say, you know, the A4, I've got, my waist has got to fit in behind an A4 piece of paper. I've got to have a thigh gap. I've got to have a bikini bridge. No, you haven't. You've got to have an ability to go, this is a great body. I love myself. In fact, one of my girls that I train, I train a lot, said that she wrote to this girl of 16 and she wrote and she said, this is the first time ever I've got up and spent the whole day and I haven't thought what about what I looked like once. And when I did, I thought, well, actually, I look quite cute. And what a great thing she's done. She's freed yeah. a 15-year-old girl from the pressure. What do I look like? Right. That's the least important thing. You know, we are, have, are you tall? Are you rich? Have you got enough hair? Have you got a six-pack? When it should be, are you, are you a real person? Have you got a good heart? Are you kind? But if you can fall in love with you, which simply requires praising yourself, and believing in yourself, you actually show the world that you're worth falling in love with. And you know, we want love, we try to get a new wardrobe, a new body, a new something, when there's only one thing you need to find love, and it's this, you must believe you're lovable. Don't give someone else the job of making you feel lovable. If you say, could you make me feel lovable? Sure, but when I leave, I'm gonna make you feel unlovable all over again. Could you make me feel beautiful? Sure, but when we fight, I'm going to make you feel ugly. I'm going to go, oh, you're so amazing. You're a complete bitch. Because that doesn't work, that making someone else responsible for how you feel about yourself. You have to do it. And that's what I'm Enough is really about at its core. It shows you how to fall in love with yourself. It goes through eight modules, how to find your purpose how to know your love, or how to have a beautiful relationship. It even works on having an incredible sex life. It fixes your relationship with money. It makes you feel like a winner. It, it covers all the key areas that we're looking for, their relationships with themselves and other people, their relationship with their body, their relationship with money, their health, their confidence. But as its core is feeling good about yourself. Because when you have that, you've already won. I mean, everything people want without question is because of how it's going to make them feel. I want a car. I want a Prada handbag. I want an Armani suit. I want a nice little house. I want a nice something. Whatever you want is because of how you're going to feel when you have it. But when you can have the feeling without the stuff, now you've cracked it. And that's what I'm Enough does. You can still have nice shoes and bags and homes and candles from Joe Malone, but they don't make you happy. Because if they did, you go, I've got one, and it feels good. Oh, I need all the different fragrances now. It's not working. Because stuff doesn't make you happy. How you feel about you makes you happy. And really, that's what I based RTT, Rapid Transformation Therapy, on not having clients come to therapy for weeks and weeks, but showing them 
how to fall in love with themselves forever, so they didn't need any more therapy. And that's for people who want to be a therapist, and I'm enough is doing the same thing for people who simply want to do that for themselves, maybe for their friends and family. Yeah, well, so on, on that note, so I created this podcast as a forum for people to go to, to feel supported, to listen to a conversation that hopefully is going to create some new insight for, mm -hmm. for them in their lives. And the idea is that we are radically loved by universe, source, God, whatever higher power of your understanding. Mm -hmm. The universe works for us and not against sure. us. And so the final question to you is, and I'm curious if your answer is going to be different this time two years later. Um, well, it's actually a two-part question. The first one is, how do you feel radically loved? And then the second one is, what or who do you radically love? Okay, so do I feel radically loved? Absolutely, because I do what I love. I love what I do. My job gives me the most amazing connection. I mean, I'm doing my, my school in Los Angeles on November the 4th this year. I did it last year in November, and, you know, I get to stand in front of 75 people teaching my method, and we will say, oh, I don't know how you can speak on stage. I don't know how you can't. I mean, I love them, but they love me, and it's just... It's not a narcissistic thing, it's just so amazing that I have a husband that I love that loves me, I have an amazing child that I love that loves me, I have um, people that I teach my method to that I love that love me, and I get letters every day saying, you changed my life. Oh my God, this is the baby thought I'd never have. This is the marriage or the body or the career I thought I'd never have. We trialed out I'm Enough as a program and somebody wrote and said, that program, the words on it are the words that got me to leave an abusive marriage. Those same words got me to walk into a company and get a job. Those same words got me to walk into an apartment and get them to give me a cheaper rent. And I left that. I've been trying to leave for 10 years. I did that program. I was out of there like that because I knew I deserved better. And I didn't need him. I just needed me. And so I love that. So I do feel radically loved. But I love myself, not in an arrogant way. But I wake every day and I like myself. You see, I'm... One of my favorite expressions is this, your punishment and reward in life are the same. You go to bed every night and you wake up every morning with yourself. And if you love yourself, what a reward. And if you hate yourself, there's your punishment. You know, people who are not good people can never sit in silence. They have to have the radio on and the TV on because they can't ever be alone with themselves because they hate themselves. Who or what do you radically love? Well, I radically love my husband. I radically love my daughter. I radically love, actually I love all the graduates that come through my program. I love almost all my clients because I see them just become so amazing. I love that you said almost all well, your clients. Well, a few, yeah. <laughs> there are a few. I mean, I've worked with a few child abusers, so they're harder to love, but actually, you know, even the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, if you look at them, that's a damaged person, that's an addict. God knows what's happened to him that made him need to do what he did, but a happy person with a beautiful one wouldn't do that. So some people are harder to love, but if you say to them, not why, what's wrong with you, but what happened to you, you know, you usually find that they're abused as children, they were hurt, you know, the Boston Bombers, those two kids, were completely ostracized. And, well, that doesn't make it right. What they did was appalling. You can't kill innocent people. 
But when you look at people who do that, they've always been shut out and excluded, which is why we really have to stop bullying, because when you exclude someone, they'll turn around like that Florida shooter, like mm -hmm. that kid in Beverly Hills several years ago that was actually shooting people who were out on a date because he was so jealous because girls didn't like him. And so I radically love a lot of people, including myself. I also radically love my life because it's amazing. Mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I think it's the same from two years ago that yeah. you answered some, oh, that's some good. variation, maybe even good. in the same order. So that's well, luckily, I've got still got the same husband. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'll have the same husband forever. <laughs> I've still got the same child. Yeah, that's I've good. still got the same everything. So I, I love the okay, same great. thing. You know, people say, um, I've got a new wife now. Right? I love her oh, more. maybe. No. Could have been different. We, no, we don't want different. <laughs> um, we I want like, what's familiar. I like what I no, have. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, because we're going back to what's familiar. I've been in a 15-year relationship, so I get it. Yeah. Um, well, we talk about that too. One of the ways to keep um, passion alive in a marriage is fantasy, because most people who cheat do not want a new person. They want a new experience. Mm, Most men who leave their wives say, I never planned for this to happen. I love my wife. I just wanted the thrill had gone, the excitement. And women say, you know, I never planned to, to ruin my marriage. I just wanted a bit of excitement. And the trick with a 15-year relationship, or indeed a 10-year one, is to have a new experience with the same person. Then they'll never leave you. And people say, I, I don't, fantasy, that's cheating, isn't it? Like, no, no, it's not. It's putting excitement and mystery because love requires intimacy, but great sex requires, eroticism requires mystery and drama and suspense and edges, a little bit of naughtiness. And that's the very, why people who are happily married will still watch porn or read um, magazines about sex because they need they you need both but it's quite hard to have intimacy and eroticism but the bridge that gives you both will always be a bit of fantasy mm. and that's the unfamiliar with mm -hmm. the familiar yeah. so it really oh. works I'm curious uh, to hear about this at your event in LA because oh, yeah. hopefully I'm gonna be there well, we did um, it last year we were doing our orgas or orgasm workshop <laughs> Super <laughs> orgasmic and multi-orgasmic. And actually, I was like, no, no, you're not supposed to actually have one. There was one person in the front row. Oh, my God. All right. On that note, uh, <laughs> come along on that day. <laughs> for, for those of you listening that want more information on uh, Marissa and her courses and her book, where can they go? Or more, more orgasms. Or more orgasms. <laughs> orgasmic. Sorry. The Orgasmic Podcast with Marissa Pierre, please. So I'mEnough.com is where you'll get this amazing program from that changes your life. And I believe we give away the first, we, we give you a money back guarantee for the first 14 days. So you have nothing to lose except all your issues. So imenough.com is where you can get the program, the 16 um, week program. The book I'm Enough is on sale on Amazon. And if you want any of our free products, go to marissapeer.com. And if you want to train with me as a therapist, particularly in Los Angeles this November, go to marissapeer.com and you can find it all about that. So marissapeer.com or iamenough.com. Great. And the book is on Amazon too. Yeah, and so we'll have the links to uh, all of those here on the show notes. So if you go in the info, all of those links will be there, including the event in Los Angeles. So if you're interested, please go check out. And um, 
that's it. We're really excited to hear what you guys thought about this episode. Mm. So please share with your friends, yeah. subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll be doing an I'm Enough day in Los Angeles, I think, at some stage too, probably in November. We'll, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll finalize the dates and let you know. Yeah. I'd love that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. You're thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank uh. you. Thank you. Do you want to go on an epic yoga adventure? I do. In fact, I, I, I do all the time. <laughs> when, when do I not want to go on an epic yoga adventure? And this fall, in an attempt to see the Northern Lights, we will go to Iceland into a journey through the chakras. It's going to be fun. If you're curious, you can email me at rosie at radicallyloved.com or go to the show notes and click the links to each of the retreats. Or you can go to radicallyloved.com. See you soon. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.